Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, June 7th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The country slowly getting back to normal as more and more cities and states open back up after a grueling fight against COVID-19. But will the nation meet President Biden's ambitious vaccination goals? Democratic Senator Joe Manchin reiterating his reluctance to join fellow Democrats with their voting rights initiatives as larger questions loom about the party's and the president's agenda because of the senator's positions. And Vice President Kamala Harris embarking on her first trip abroad, aiming to forge crucial ties in the White House's efforts to address growing migration from Central America. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. In the U.S., cases down 95% since January and more Americans feeling like life is almost back to normal. This as the Biden administration hits the road in a last-minute push to boost vaccination numbers before the July 4th deadline. Lorraine Gossett has the latest. Reopenings around the country continuing to happen. The White House press room today operating at full capacity for the first time since the start of the pandemic, with 98% of journalists vaccinated. A new survey showing Americans are feeling more optimistic. 84% feeling the coronavirus situation is getting a little better, and 66% saying their lives are at least somewhat back to normal. Biden administration already on the road, promoting vaccinations in what will be a national month of action. The First Lady and Dr. Anthony Fauci at a Harlem COVID vaccination site Sunday, encouraging more young people to get their shots. Why everyone 12 and older to come get vaccinated. We're really working hard because we have to get back to life as normal. Right now, 63.5% of adults have at least one dose, 14 jurisdictions already reaching or surpassing the administration's goals. Governors in the South, where vaccination numbers are falling behind, encouraging residents to get their shots. I believe that the vaccine works. I believe it's safe. I believe it's effective. I took my first dose in January, uh, as did my wife on, on TV live, and I've encouraged Mississippians to do the same. Despite the efforts, Dr. Fauci well aware that reaching the president's goal will be difficult, but not impossible. President Biden's implementation plan for rolling out the vaccines thus far has been a striking success. But as you heard from the congressman, the goal is a, is a laudable and achievable goal, although it would be challenging, to get 70% of the adult population vaccinated by July 4th. The rate of vaccinations has dropped by 70% since mid-April, and at least 16 million more people need to get vaccinated in order to achieve the goal. What a shame and a tragedy that we don't make use of something that is for our benefit when others throughout the world would do anything to have what we have. And as summer school programs begin all over the country, the state of New York is pressuring the CDC to update its mask guidance. This after the CDC last week say, said it would do so and change the recommendations. But vaccine experts are saying that getting rid of masks in a school setting right now would be very risky as a lot of kids, most kids are not vaccinated and that would certainly possibly provoke an outbreak. Back to you, Andrea. 
Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. And another coronavirus news, school districts are poised to spend federal money on more teachers and new textbooks, among other things, as $81 billion from the latest federal coronavirus relief package flows into their coffers this week. By Monday, states must tell the Department of Education how they plan to spend the money. The remaining $41 billion of the $122 billion will be released after that. The department, meanwhile, is encouraging states and districts to use their new funds to expand access to vaccines. And now to Washington. Senator Joe Manchin is once again making headlines for interfering with his own party's plans. The West Virginia Democrat announcing he will not support the Senate's voting rights bill. Senator Joe Manchin making it official, saying he'll oppose Democrats' landmark voting rights bill, the For the People Act. In an op-ed published in the Charleston Gazette Mail on Sunday morning, the West Virginia Democrat wrote, I believe that partisan voting legislation will destroy the already weakening binds of our democracy. This essentially closes the door on Democrats' push for large-scale voting rights reform on Capitol Hill. The For the People Act aims to establish federally mandated voting and election standards nationwide, including no excuse voting by mail and other rules for absentee voting. I think it's the wrong piece of legislation to bring our country together and unite our country, and I'm not supporting that because I think it would divide us further. I don't want to be in a country that's divided any further than I'm in right now. I love my country, and I think my Democrat and Republican colleagues feel the same. Manchin is also the only Democrat who isn't a co-sponsor of the bill. Instead, he has called on Senate leaders to update and pass the far less sweeping John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which aims to strengthen the Voting Rights Act through regular order. Fellow Democrats like Congresswoman Barbara Lee pushed back. I hope he reconsiders what his position is because this is not about partisan advantage. This is fundamental to our democracy. And the president himself condemning the senator's decision. I'm going to fight like heck with every tool at my disposal for his passage. Manchin once again emphasized his refusal to end the filibuster, a Senate rule which requires a 60-vote threshold to advance most legislation. However, other Democrats say the voting rights issue could be worth changing the filibuster. I'm very reluctant about it, but uh, if it comes down to uh, voting rights and the rights of Americans to, to, go, to the, go to the polls and select their leaders versus the filibuster, I'll choose democracy. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has said he plans to bring the For the People Act to the floor in two weeks, but it's expected to be dead on arrival. And in related election news, Georgia Republicans censured Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger for his role in administering the 2020 elections. The reaction comes months after both Raffensperger and Georgia Governor Brian Kemp refused to help former President Trump overturn the election results after his loss to President Biden. Trump has falsely claimed that he lost because of voter fraud. Raffensperger did not attend the convention, but Kemp did and was loudly booed on stage. Both Kemp and Raffensperger are running for re-election. 
And another major story we're tracking today, a federal judge in California overturning that state's longtime ban on assault weapons Friday. U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez of San Diego ruled it violates the Second Amendment's right to bear arms. Benitez ruled the 1989 ban deprives Californians from owning weapons commonly allowed in other states. He issued a permanent injunction Friday, so the law cannot be enforced. He compared the AR-15 to the Swiss Army knife, saying it's a perfect combination of home and homeland defense. California Governor Gavin Newsom criticized the ruling, calling the AR-15 a, quote, weapon of war. The ruling and injunction are stayed for 30 days. During that time, Attorney General Rob Bonta says he will appeal. And in other national news, ransomware attackers gained access to Colonial Pipeline's computer networks in April using a compromised password. And that's according to the company and a cybersecurity firm it hired. The attack led to the deliberate shutdown of one of America's most important fuel distribution companies and panic gas buying. The password was compromised and the account was apparently not guarded by an extra layer of security known as multi-factor authentication. It's unclear how the attackers obtained the compromised credentials in the first place. Kamala Harris is visiting Guatemala and Mexico on her first foreign trip as vice president. Harris has been tasked by President Joe Biden with addressing the root causes of migration to the U.S.-Mexico border. Corruption will be a central focus of her meetings with Guatemala's and Mexico's presidents today and tomorrow. Edwin Piti has the latest details on this from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Andrea, that's right, Kamala Harris started her first foreign trip as vice president and she did, she did so by outlining the Biden administration's plan to deal with the root causes of migration from Central America to the U.S. The vice president pledged half a million coronavirus vaccine doses, $310 million in regional humanitarian aid and $4 billion in long-term plan to boost development and security across Central America. The vice president also announced new joint measures to fight smuggling and trafficking and additional anti-corruption efforts as well. Harris said, and I quote, hope does not exist by itself. It must be coupled with relationship of trust. It must be coupled with tangible outcome in terms of what we do as leaders to convince people that there is a reason to be hopeful about their future, end quote. Guatemala has received, Andrea, more than $1.6 billion in American aid over the last decade, but poverty rates have risen, malnutrition has become a national crisis, and corruption is still an issue. Ahead of Harry's arrival, Guatemala's President Alejandro Giamate said in an interview that the vice president doesn't hold back, saying that she's frank, and that is a good thing, but he continues to say that Biden's promise to the country to reunite families are partly to blame for the increase in migration. According to the Guatemalan president, the very next day of the change of U.S. policies at the border, the human smugglers were in Guatemala organizing a group of children to take them to the United States. Live in Washington, D.C., back to you, Andrea. Thank you, Edwin, for that report from Washington, D.C. Joining me now is Tiziano Breda. He's a Central America analyst for the International Crisis Group. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tiziano, and welcome to U News. 
Thank you very much to you, Andrea, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to join you today. What will the challenges be for Vice President Harris during today's visit with Guatemalan President Alejandro Giamatei? Well, first of all, the, the first challenge, I would say, is to manage expectation. Because, of course, uh, there are, as the Biden administration rightly uh, acknowledges, there are some issues that can be tackled immediately, which are, for example, the humanitarian situation in particularly rural areas, particularly those affected by, by the hurricanes, in which uh, need is extremely need, uh, sorry, humanitarian assistance is extremely needed and urgent. But there are some other issues which the Biden administration would like to work on, such as corruption, uh, rule of law, democracy, etc., that needs uh, the, the, the needs a medium to long-term view. Um, and secondly, um, there's a, a second risk for um, Kamala Harris, which is to not play the Guatemalan government game, which is, uh, on one hand, uh, being open and available for collaboration on certain issues, but on the other, uh, quietly carrying out actions that eventually uh, hinder, basically, the rule of law in the country and the fight against corruption. Gemma Day has faced criticism over corruption within his own government. What are some of the allegations against him? Well, there have been um, accusations of uh, irregularities in the purchase of medical equipment during the pandemic. Uh, he's been criticized for uh, the uh, basically lack of a clear strategy to obtain vaccines now uh, this year. And uh, there was also a scandal of basically a parallel cabinet that was uh, draining basically or was uh, uh, benefiting from state resources while basically just repeating uh, what the, the, the government cabinets were, were, were doing. Um, and he's become basically um, a figure that has not been very much welcomed by uh, the indigenous population, which account for almost half of the population in Guatemala, for not really being sympathetic to the population and actually uh, having failed to, for example, um, step up aid, uh, government aid, to the areas mostly affected by the pandemic and by the hurricanes last year. All right, let's move on now. Now, Vice President Kamala Harris will not be visiting two other key Central American nations, Nicaragua and El Salvador. How important will meeting with those presidents be, perhaps as a follow-up effort? Well, definitely, uh, the, the third risk that probably didn't mention before is that this prioritization of the relationship with Guatemala, which, of course, stems from, first of all, the geographical position of Guatemala in the route uh, north towards the U.S., but also from the fact that the relationship with um, El Salvador's uh, President Nayib Bukele is quite uh, at an all-time low at the moment. Um, you have also Honduras president, Juan uh, Orlando Hernandez, which has been accused of uh, participating in drug trafficking activities. And therefore, these two, of course, present more uh, greater challenges to interact with. But at the same time, if the U.S. wants to um, address the regional problems, of course, recognizing the nuances, the political momentum, the different humanitarian and security situation in each country, it will need also to uh, interact with, with, with these governments, basically, and the civil society and the private sector um, in these other countries and would not just be able to just prioritize one bilateral relation, which actually risks 
further deteriorating the uh, relationship with the other two. We will be following the visit very closely. Thanks so much for your time, Tiziano Breda of the International Crisis Group. Have a great day. You too. Thank you very much, Andrea. Thank you. And a major motion from the Supreme Court today. In a unanimous decision, the justices curbed a 30-year-old immigration program for foreign nationals whose countries are ravaged by war or natural disaster, ruling that temporary protection from deportation does not guarantee a path to a permanent residency. Some 400,000 people, most from Central America, live in the U.S. with temporary protected status, TPS, which permits them to remain as long as the government determines they cannot safely return. At issue in the case was whether those immigrants could apply for lawful permanent residency or green cards if they had entered the United States illegally. The decision comes months after the Supreme Court ruled against an immigrant in another case who lived in the country illegally for 25 years and who asserted he wrongfully faced deportation for using a false social security card. And when we come back, more stories of migrant journeys as thousands risk it all on the trip north to the United States. And a candidate for mayor of New York City receiving a critical endorsement, but will it be enough to put her over the top? Stay with us. We have much more to come. Welcome back to You News. A few days ago, we brought you the story of a migrant with an intellectual disability who was found wandering the streets of Ciudad Juarez after being missing for two months. After Univision published his story, a pro-immigrant organization assisted him in entering the United States to apply for asylum. Aileen Cardet tells us what happened next. What seemed impossible a week ago has happened. Washington Quispe entered the United States. He's a 25-year-old Ecuadorian who suffers from mental illness and just days ago was homeless in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. Mexican authorities has rescued him from the streets where he had been wandering for two months after he unsuccessfully tried to cross the border into the United States to reunite with his mother who had left him in the care of his grandparents 18 years ago. When we reported on his case, an organization that helps migrants at the border identify his situation as extremely vulnerable case and in just seven days they helped process his entry into the United States to apply to remain in the country. His grandparents Don Pablo and Doña Maria arrived from Ecuador to meet him. They travel for two days and are exhausted. It's urgent because we want to see how my grandson is. That journey was a mission impossible. In Ecuador, they battled for five days to get airline tickets and to renew their expired passports. Thanks to my Lord, you have helped us a lot. It was thanks to the support of different people, of different state institutions that made it possible for the grandparents to get their passports. We accompanied them to the border crossing to wait for their grandchild. And the days of anguish came to an end. Thank you, I thought I wasn't going to find him, thank you. Now they will travel together to Maryland. We're going to get my mom, my mommy Salome, who he hasn't seen since he was a child. Let's go to mommy, she loves you very much. Aileen Cardet, Yunus. 
And now to the firestorm after a student in North Carolina was denied his diploma because he wore the Mexican flag to his graduation. The school now clarifying what they say happens. Grecia Lastra has all those details. This morning, a North Carolina high school is now the target of violent threats after a senior student was temporarily denied his diploma for wearing a Mexican flag over his gown during graduation last week. This is messed up, you know, like... I did nothing wrong. Ashboro police say that they're investigating one email that said, I'm gonna shoot up this school if you don't give that young man his diploma. They say at least 10 emails threatening violence were sent to school employees. It all stems from this moment, the principal seen here pausing, then appearing to give Ever Lopez his diploma, but the school held it back. And I was, I was in shock and like confused. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, the flag, you can't wear that. Lopez's family confronting the school officials. Police then escorted them from the ceremony. Ashboro High School says Lopez was originally denied his diploma because he violated the dress code. In a statement, the school says the incident is not about the Mexican flag, adding it supports our students' expressions of their heritage in the appropriate time and place. The incident creating a firestorm on social media and drawing attention from dozens of students who protested the school's decision. But now the school says Lopez's diploma has been available for pickup since Friday, adding it never requested, expected or required an apology from him. Lopez, whose family is from Mexico, says wearing the flag was important to him. It means everything to me. And my whole family from over there, you know, like. I did it for them because, like, they had a rough childhood, you know, like, they didn't get to go to school like I did, you know? I was basically doing it for my family. The school says it encourages student expression, but asks students to decorate their graduation caps, not their gowns. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. In political news, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is throwing her support behind civil rights lawyer Maya Wiley in the race for New York City mayor. AOC formally endorsed Wiley during a news conference on Saturday, calling her the most progressive choice out of the eight major Democratic candidates running to replace Mayor Bill de Blasio. Wiley now has the support of two of the state's highest profile members of Congress, AOC, who represents parts of Queens and the Bronx, and Hakeem Jeffries, chair of the House Democratic Caucus. And former President Donald Trump is back on the political stage. He was the keynote speaker at the North Carolina Republican State Convention. All this happened on Saturday. During his remarks, he repeated unfounded claims that the election was stolen from him. He told attendees he believes he is defending democracy, not trying to destroy it. Trump also railed against Facebook for banning him and slammed New York prosecutors and Dr. Anthony Fauci. And Alabama Congressman Mo Brooks has been served with a lawsuit that seeks to hold him partially accountable for the January 6th insurrection at the United States Capitol. And that's according to an attorney for Representative Eric Swalwell of California, who says the papers were served on Brooks's wife at their home Sunday. The suit alleges that Brooks, former President Trump, Donald Trump Jr. and Rudy Giuliani broke several laws by inciting the Capitol riot. More of you news after this short break.
Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. And welcome back to U News. The Supreme Court will not hear a challenge to the Food and Drug Administration's regulatory control over vaping products. A vape shop in Mississippi called Big Time Vapes wanted the justices to decide if a decision made by Congress to allow the FDA to regulate that industry should stand. The 2009 Tobacco Control Act gives the Secretary of Health and Human Services power to determine what tobacco products fall under its purview. The FDA expanded the reach of that law to include vapes in 2016. Big Time Vapes unsuccessfully argued any new regulation should be decided by legislators. And another FDA news, the agency today approved Biogen's Alzheimer's drug, Aduka Nubab, making it the first drug cleared by U.S. regulators to slow cognitive decline in people living with Alzheimer's. It's also the first new medicine for the disease in nearly two decades. The FDA's decision was highly anticipated. The drug, which is marketed under the name Aduhelm, is also expected to generate billions of dollars in revenue for the company, but has faced intense scrutiny from scientists, some of whom claim the data is not strong enough to back the intended purpose of the treatment. And it's a birth defect where the spine and spinal cord don't properly form. But surgery before the baby is born may now help treat spina bifida. And doctors at a U.S. hospital say a new 3D technology is making the procedure even safer. Azul Alvarez has more. Ever since the first day we started dating, we were like talking about kids. When Jocelyn Rodriguez and her husband found out she was pregnant, the couple never expected something might be wrong. Neither one of us really knew what spina bifida was until we were diagnosed with it. The ultrasound at 18 weeks confirmed it. Rodriguez said she was told surgery before the baby was born could help, but it's a complicated procedure. This defect is a true defect of a baby we operated on. At Orlando's Health's Winnie Palmer Hospital for Women and Babies, there's new technology to help. Pediatric neurosurgeon Dr. Samir El Baba used the 3D model of Rodriguez fetus to help plan the surgery. Being able to see the size and location of the defect from the true-to-life model printed from an MRI image. This technology actually makes the surgery uh, safer and more informative for the parents prior to surgery and helps me as a surgeon perform the surgery uh, safe, safer and, and be more effective and quicker. She's due at the end of June, but Rodriguez says they're already seeing improvements in ultrasounds. She has been kicking, wiggling her toes, moving her ankles. She loves to have hiccups. I mean, just everything that we could have wished for has definitely happened. Now, they just wish to hold their daughter in their arms. Azul Alvarez, U News. And hopefully that surgery is a big su success. Fisher-Price is recalling 120,000 of its 4-in-1 rock-and-glide soothers in the U.S. after four infants died from suffocation. 
The Consumer Product Safety Commission says inclined products such as gliders, soothers, rockers and swings are not safe for babies to sleep in. Fisher-Price is also recalling 55,000 two-in-one soothe and play gliders, although there have been no fatalities associated with that product. The CEO of Fisher-Price's parent company, Mattel, will appear at a House Oversight Committee hearing in Washington next week to address the issue. Parents are being told to immediately stop using the recalled products. And another consumer news, crude oil prices hit $70 per barrel on Sunday. And that's the first time they have crossed that threshold in nearly three years. And it's $110 higher than last year's record low. When prices dipped into negative territory as producers struggled to store their excess supplies. The rebound is being driven by increased demand as the pandemic winds down and people travel some more. OPEC and Russia are also continuing to restrain supplies. What this all means for you, though, is higher prices at the pump. The national average price for a gallon of gas is now $3.05, more than a dollar than this time last year. And in travel news, Royal Caribbean ships are getting ready to set sail in the U.S. for the first time in 16 months. The company announced Friday that six of its ships will begin sailing from major U.S. cruise ports in Florida and Texas in July and August. The first ship will set sail on July 2nd from Miami, Florida. On Friday, Royal Caribbean International announced it will not require U.S. passengers to get vaccinated to sail this summer. And speaking of voyages, Jeff Bezos is going to space. The Amazon CEO says he will be flying on the first crewed flight aboard his Blue Origin rocket. The 59-foot rocket ship New Shepard will take an 11-minute flight on July 15th. It's expected to reach more than 60 miles above Earth. Bezos's younger brother, Mark Bezos, will also be one of the six people aboard the capsule. One seat will be given to the winner of a month-long auction that's currently in progress. The bidding is now more than $2.8 million. The California Supreme Court heard arguments last week in a double murder conviction appeal that argued that the state's application of capital punishment is unequal and unconstitutional, which could pave the way to overturn hundreds of death sentences. We just had an election and people voted for the death penalty. Angry citizens took to the streets to express their anger, while lawyers are calling for juries to be unanimous in their reasoning, especially on aggravating factors to ensure a fair application of the law. California Governor Gavin Newsom placed a moratorium on executions, but is also seeking to reduce sentencing in other types of cases. The state announced it will increase early release credits for 76,000 inmates, including more than 10,000 violent and repeat offenders convicted of felonies. Those prisoners who committed violent crimes should not be released until they serve 85% of their sentences. The argument of the governor and prosecutors is that the application of the law is unequal and affects mostly minorities. Just as I see the problem of mine, many people have the same problem with their relatives, unjustly charged. Delia Macias' son suffers from mental illness and has gone to jail several times. He has a disease, and when he doesn't take his meds, he loses control and they arrest him. Reported by Romy de Frias in Los Angeles, Ana de Mendoza, U News.
Jeff and Lauren Lowe, the married couple and current owners of the Tiger King Park in Oklahoma, were both arrested for DUI Saturday morning. The couple made famous by the Netflix series Tiger King were both taken into custody Saturday morning by Oklahoma City Police, according to the arrest report. Lauren Lowe was driving their Range Rover when it jumped a curb, leaving a parking lot. When a cruiser followed the vehicle, Jeff took over driving, but according to police, he also appeared to be driving under the influence. When stopped, Jeff Lowe reportedly had a breath alcohol reading more than twice the legal limit. In May, the Lowe's had 70 big cats from their animal park seized for ongoing violations of the Endangered Species Act. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.